Welcome to the Going Beyond Podcast. I'm your host, Randy Zinn. I'm a mother, an author, and an entrepreneur who is committed to and curious about living a life that is always evolving. This is a lifestyle podcast covering health, both body and mind, self-care, why it is a necessity, and how tough it can be to master, entrepreneurship, its ups and downs, cultural disruption, and the topics we sometimes avoid, as well as love, sex, friendship, and more. This podcast is a place and a community for people who are willing to do the hard work of growth, who want the tools and inspiration to step into it, and who want to grow each and every day of their lives. I interview movement makers, leaders, survivors, writers, and founders. Their stories move me and will move you to cultivate more strength and clarity during every step of your day. Enjoy today's episode, and thanks for spending time with me at this very special place in my life over here at the Going Beyond Podcast. I want to tell you guys about this episode's sponsor, Spectra, a CBD company. Spectra is on a mission to create the most effective CBD formula to help as many people benefit from natural relief. Their products are rigorously third-party lab tested to ensure utmost purity, consistency, and quality. They only use clean, natural, and organic ingredients. No harmful ingredients ever. At Spectra, they put your health and happiness at the core of everything they do, which is why they offer a 100% risk guarantee. The patch is their flagship product and the best in the market in terms of CBD dosage, affordability, and long-lasting relief, up to 96 hours. People love it because you only need to stick it on and forget about it for four days of relief, and it's waterproof and organic. Use promo code GOINGBEYOND, that's one word, going beyond, when you buy your products. And they currently have a special promotion on all products on top of the 15% off you'll get from using our code. Check it out at spectra.com. That's S-P-E-C-K-T-R-A.com and go to their products page. Thank you so much, Spectra, for sponsoring the podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome. I'm thrilled that you're here with me today. I'm thrilled and excited for today's conversation with a beautiful woman who is a fast friend. We've just been hanging out for about almost 20 minutes before I hit the record button, getting to know each other. And we turns out we have some really interesting things in common and a lot of things to learn from one another. I know that today's conversation is going to get very honest and very real. And I hope that those of you who are tuning and going to hang out with us, are ready to do a little bit of introspection, a little bit of getting real with yourself. I always suggest that if thoughts or questions come up to you, that you jot them down when you're listening. I just really hope that today's conversation will support you as you are navigating a very growth-filled interesting, powerful, sometimes confusing period of time. And I think the point of today's conversation is to dispel a lot of the separation and a lot of the fear in some of the topics that are up right now. So I'm joined today by Raquel Shelton. She's an author, a workplace peace advocate, a speaker, and inspiration enthusiast. She has over 12 years of corporate experience, including roles with CNN, Werner Media, iHeartMedia, 
Media and Fox Chicago News. She has a master's degree in media communications and a BA in radio, TV, and film. So she is very much embedded in the media world. She's passionate about serving, inspiring, and helping individuals find harmony and strategy to thrive in and out of the workplace. She's published several books. I was peeking on her website. And her latest book called Wusa, A Survival Guide for Women of Color Working in Corporate, has been featured on multiple media outlets. So her website is Raquel Shelton. We'll obviously post all the information about her on the show notes. But for now, I'm thrilled she's here with me on the Going Beyond podcast. Welcome, my new friend. Hey there, Randy. Thank you for having me. So exciting. Really happy you're here. It really does feel like, you know, you can find someone on Instagram, (laughs) but for some reason, the people that end up hanging out with me on the show somehow feels like it's meant to be and that these conversations are just meant to happen at exactly the right time. And I definitely feel that way today. I'm here. Thank you. So necessary. So why don't you just like give us a little bit of a sense, maybe just like getting into this moment of time, your work has been to support primarily at this moment in time. I know you've done a lot of other things, but now you're really focusing on supporting and empowering women of color in the workplace through mindfulness and positivity and community building, uh, connectedness. Why that and why now? Well, for me, just like my life has been aligned to just really get here. I've been a mentor in a couple of school districts and serving and inspiring others. My faith as well just has provided me with this heart for service. And then, of course, as a woman, I identify, I resonate with a lot of our issues. And then as a Black woman and someone that's passionate about fighting against different injustices, I just can't keep my mouth closed. I'm going to speak up and just work to inspire and empower. So in addition to the workplace piece, I like to consider myself an inspiration enthusiast. And I have a motivational lifestyle brand that's titled Be The Inspired You. So with that, it's all about challenging people to be the best version of themselves in and out of the workplace. So I just kind of married the two of those. And I think Now is such a great prominent time to inspire individuals to tap into just their best version and that inspired version of you. That's you setting goals, being intentional, tapping into your inner power, your inner mastery, and just being the best that you can be, you know, at all times. Okay. I'm going to ask you a really simple question. Yes. What exactly does WUSA mean? WUSA speaks to resetting. So there's actually this big scene in the Bad Boys movie with Will Smith and Martin Lawrence. And so many people think I got Woosah from that because he's like, hey, just Woosah, take a deep breath, which it can be, but you're just going to reset. So if that client is under your skin, if your boss has upset you, your colleague is on your last nerve or the children or the husband, you're just going to take a moment and Woosah. So you're just going to gather yourself and take a different step at whatever obstacle you're facing with the fresh approach. Okay. I just wanted to make that clear before we went. (laughs) Okay, great. So there is no mystery about the challenges of being a woman in corporate America. I mean, I all know about this, but give us, because we're now in a period of time where I think almost everyone, no matter what your political affiliation is, no matter whether you agree with how certain things have been handled in the past weeks, 
I think we all can see that a veil that has been covering reality has been lifted. And I, for one, am really excited about that because there's in the midst of all the pain and all of the fear, all the confusion is possibility. Yeah. So with all that said, I think it would be super helpful because many individuals right now with the best of intentions are really trying to understand, like really Mm -hmm. trying to study and understand what it is like on a daily basis to be that person of color at the workplace. Like what? Now I know from friends, from my husband, what are some of the coping skills of the management that people of color have to do day in, day out? But I think so many people have absolutely no clue what a lot of that entails. So from your voice, from the work that you do, I mean, give us a sense of what that is. Yeah. And so first I want to say thank you for just kind of getting to the how refreshing, enlightening it is. And I am very hopeful. It's kind of weird to say this, but for once, you know, just in terms of this fight for racial equalities, this is the first time that I'm actually hopeful and that I see progression. And I think it took a quarantine and COVID to sit everyone down and for the NBA season to be canceled and for production and movie theaters to stop for us to have to sit at home and actually watch what took place with uh, George Floyd specifically, and to see how undeniable that situation was. So in a bittersweet way, you know, this has brought light to something that as a Black woman that we have been fighting and kind of navigating through for some time. And when I say that we're fighting and navigating through, I am speaking specifically of institutional racism. The word systematic racism has been, racism has been brought to the forefront quite often. And that just kind of, it's telling with school districts your children go to or some of their resources. Or when you look in the workplace, talk about the, or we think about the wage gap, how Black women are paid less in a corporate environment. And as a woman, we can fundamentally understand the frustration with that as it compares to our male counterparts. And so then it's even more revealing for Black women, or women of color specifically, but of course I'm speaking from a Black woman's standpoint. Um, So it's the stigmas, the stereotypes, microaggression, stigmas such as if you are too vocal, if you're speaking up, she maybe appeared as though she's snappy, she's angry, she's sassy, you know, all the stereotypes I think that exist about Black women Those are things that we have to artfully work to combat in the workplace or to go out of our way to say, hey, I'm not angry. Hey, let me lower my tone. Or if this is my natural personality, I don't want you to feel offended to think that I'm getting smart with you. So that part right there, it's frustrating to have to navigate through some of those things um, just socially and then be respected to get the work done. So there are lots of stats out there. We don't have to get into the stats. But for me, I've seen it, whether I may have had the same answer that my Caucasian counterpart have had, and then my boss is going behind me asking again. So it's like my um, perspective is being undermined. They may have been able to get X amount of work from home days or different perks that I'm not allowed. I've even had colleagues that have went to hair appointments on the clock. And I had to cover for them. Um, And I could never imagine asking or saying, hey, I'm going to step away and get my hair braided. I'll be right back. So it's just kind of things of those sorts. A lot of the stereotypes that we're stuck to kind of fish through, having to really prove that we are intelligent, which again goes to some sort of stereotype that already exists or implicit bias. Yeah, there's so much that you just said. And I was like, let me like make these talking uh, sound bites. I get it. Almost like so deep. It's like 
you almost have to drop it in in these like sound bites. So you think about for those of most of my listeners are women. So it's like, I think most women can relate and understand the male female power dynamic inside of the workspace. I know for myself, I can feel the energy when a man is questioning my power or my ability. Like I can actually feel it. It's not often the words, but it's like this feeling. And I can only imagine that as a woman of color, it goes a whole other step deeper, even more stuff. And then you look at, I look at your website and you're like talking about, I loved your little promo video, the little animation, and you're talking about building community and communication skills and mindfulness. Like it just makes me question how or recognizes maybe the word, how tough it must be to achieve, you know, great communication and a good sense of community when you're constantly up against those limitations. Yeah, absolutely, Randy. And even when you think about like right now, I have been very vocal lately about Black people in the workplace now. It's racially charged. You know, we see it on the television. Some people that may have opposing views or don't think that racism exists or that have issue with the phrase Black Lives Matter specifically. You know, I had a very good friend who their manager just went off about why are people attacking the police? All lives matter. And just very insensitive and very inappropriate in the workplace. So as we're here navigating through all these things, imagine what it's like right now when people's, their interest is peaked or they're speaking out of frustration and having to come to work and keep a straight face when we're grieving as a culture or we're grieving um, as a nation as well. Because I think any life loss is a human life. There should be a level of empathy, no matter whomever skin color, when you see that something tragic has taken place. So yes, there are a lot of barriers. And specifically now in the workplace, having to be on guard your colleagues that may poke a prod or express their feelings or their thoughts on this. And it's just a very inappropriate time. And then if you say something, then of course you can be deemed as the angry black or you're on your edge or, or things of that sort. So yeah, it can be very challenging. Yeah. And I feel like on the other side too, there's like the, there's the people who are curious to get into discussion, yep. which I think should be encouraged you know? I agree. Yeah. People need to, my partner has very much called me out on this part. Like he says, like, stop trying to be so perfect because actually that's the enemy of the progress, you know, that's really necessary. And the first, you know, to admit that as a white person with a black partner and mixed kids, I'm only recently like really getting the things that I haven't totally seen and that mm-hmm. sounds so wild. Like I've said that I've been writing about it publicly about how I almost have pity on the white people in my life who don't even have close proximity to black people. Like while I'm almost like shame on you, go make friends, like go expand your horizons. On the other hand, I'm like, oh my God, like how are you expected to even get half of this when I've even missed part of it and I live with a person of color? Like, wow. Okay, so if that puts into perspective how indoctrinated that concept of white privilege is, it doesn't mean that you don't love someone of color. Sure. Yeah. We're so programmed and built into our structure. Yep. Things we don't see. 
Yeah, it's not intentional, but we have to start to see it. Yeah, I think we're all in our bubble to an extent. And that's when situations like this specifically is so visible. Um, I had someone on LinkedIn apologize for white privilege. And I was like, hey, there's no need to apologize for it. It just is what it is. That's a great gesture, but I don't have to accept that you don't have to do that, right? As long as moving forward, if you have not been aware that you're using your privilege to advocate for the disenfranchised, that you're speaking up and that you're checking your own heart, because I think racism, it's a hard issue. And until white people, it's just an issue until you have someone in your family or you know someone, then it becomes a person. And when it becomes a person, then there's more of a sense of care and empathy towards that person because you can say, hey, Tasha may be dealing with this, but if you don't have anyone in your community, then it's just an issue and it's easier to be oblivious and to live in that bubble. So I would just challenge and encourage all ethnicities, specifically white people to just maybe really go back to all the phenomenal documentaries on PBS or wherever, dig into the origins of this country and the progression of Blacks throughout the country just to get an idea, to simulate that compassion, that empathy, to see, hey, I have dealt with this. Or when you think about it, we're not that many generations removed. My grandfather was born in 1930. So my grandfather's parents were either slaves and even some of the stuff that he dealt with. And that's not that long ago. So when you really kind of draw that connection and step outside of yourself and the things that you were taught and really look at it from a lens of empathy and compassion, hey, that could be me. Or, hey, I can understand why this wide perception of Black people exists and why this person may feel the need to or why this person may have to fight against some of those perceptions or why. So I think until people do the personal interwork within themselves, then it becomes more progressive. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that there's a big reaction happening right now. So everybody is kind of like people in a way are kind of freaking out. Like, how do I catch up? How do I do what's right? I also have been making suggestions like, yeah, there's real need out there uh, for action. So don't not act, but also do your own inner work. Because if it's not coming from a sense of your own personal connection, it's not actually going to sync up. So do your reading, you know, I'm like, I love some of the more contemporary books and I am reading them, but I also like going back. Like I think reading James Baldwin is like, like go there. You will get like some of the best, most relevant bits in there that you will just noodle on for a while. So, you know, do your reading, do your research. Yes. Watch. There's so many films right now on Netflix, on, you know, wherever you're watching your, your films learn. And, you know, something like you said before, I've been thinking a lot about relationships and about friendships. It's a huge thing to personalize this. So many people that I know who care really don't have people of color who are their friends. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, like, and I'm not saying like, just go to the park and find a person of color and become friends. Like it doesn't work like that. But like, there are these moments where you can choose to be, you know, comfortable and talk to the person that you kind of naturally go toward, or you open your heart and be like, let me like step out of my comfort zone and talk to someone a little different than me. And like, before you know it, you've learned something, you've connected. Yeah, I agree. But I also think like for Black people, there are so many that feel a variety of different feelings and everyone's entitled to their feelings. But I can understand how it could be a very tricky space for someone that genuinely wants to reach out. I was joking with a friend and I was like, they should totally create an app right now where people can be intentional about 
connecting with other races. Like that's really smart. I mean, seriously, like now that this is here, okay, hey, you want to make some black friends? I know it sounds cheesy, probably sounds corny, but like everyone, we're all in our bubble. So if no, if you didn't have the black people in your classroom, or if you know someone didn't marry into the family, it's it can be very challenging. So yeah, people just have to be intentional, and that's if they care enough. And I think again placing it on a a human or some of the issues um, that you see that's going on. If you tie that to someone in your family with their name, what you want them going through or feeling that way, you don't even have to agree about how they feel because that's their feelings, but be open-minded and understanding towards, okay, there could be some truth to this. Okay. Like this, they're, everyone can't just be lying or saying that they've experienced these type of things. So it's totally going to be an, an interwork and stepping out that comfort zone. Yeah. And another thing I'm learning a lot right now. So, you know, I think one thing that people are seeing a lot of memes about, but I will say my partner has like fully said to me, you know, it's up to us, those of us that are befriending these realities for the first time to do the work ourselves. Like a couple of my friends have said, oh, you know, I'd really like to sit with, I'm not going to use his name here, my partner. And I'd really just want to like talk to him and like pick his brain. And I'm like, nah, (laughs) you know, like, no, that's not his job. He's been doing this all day, every day for 51 years. So like he doesn't have to do this work to explain to you what it's like. That's true. I don't know if you're familiar with Amanda Seals or if you follow her. But yeah, so she recently posted that it's not our job to tell you what books to read. You know, it's not our job to, so I can understand both sides to that. But still, it's hard to get started if you don't have anyone that you can actually connect it to. It's like, what am I reading? And then you also have to- Well, no, I was going to say, you're right. Like, I think there has to be an exchange. Yeah. Point, but I do think that you know, white people listening, like, there's enough out there between social media, Netflix, Amazon Prime, you know, all the places, like, for you to begin. Because if you watch some films and follow some threads on Instagram and get book recommendations and start there, you're gonna find where to go from there. Like, you will go down the rabbit hole. So, you have to be respectful, like, and know that it is your job. I agree. I will. Let me say this regarding Netflix. A friend of mine, we were talking about how the Netflix Black Lives Matter list was trash. Okay. And I say that because even if like Beyonce's homecoming, love Beyonce, please beehives don't come after me. She's stellar. But when you want to really get into a historic standpoint and actual content, I think the documentary, like we don't need to see Love Jones or Mo Better Blues. Those are all entertainment films, but when you really get to the origins, um, so I highly recommend, there's a wonderful five-part documentary on PBS. It's called The Africans in America, Many Waters. So that literally takes you from 1600, where Blacks were in Africa, living their best lives, doing their things, and many of them were kidnapped and brought over to what wasn't America at the time, but brought over here in the slave trade. So if you think about the slave trade, so if you're Googling the slave trade, you see these ships where black bodies were stacked on top of each other, where of course they're kidnapped from Africa. They're not speaking English. They were forbidden to talk to each other. Little girls were raped on the ship on the way to America. They were in very tight quarters. And once they got here, the living conditions were just God awful. They were beat. They were slaved for years and years and years. And if you go back, we're here, it's 500 years later. And the mindset of the separation from parents, 
all the way down to Jim Crow, to the civil rights movement, to the constitution, not even including us. So when you look at the history of a group of people and see how they have been treated throughout the years and how the laws and the system has been placed in place that again, didn't represent our voices. Even when you look at the Ku Klux Klan that was founded in 1861. So as you go back and look at through the history, I think that's when the compassion strings and the empathy comes into place because this group of people that has been displaced. And yes, you know, it's easy to say, well, hey, why aren't black people just pulling themselves up by the bootstraps? Oprah did it. Tiger Woods did it. So you're naming these phenomenally exceptional people, but on the day-to-day basis, systemic racism does exist and so does institutional racism. So if institutionally my name is hindering me from getting that interview, although I'm equally as qualified as this other person, but I may have more of an ethnic name and I'm being stereotyped or or judged or I'm not, they're tossing my stuff out because they don't want to interview me. So you have to kind of look at the bigger picture of things and monitor until kind of where we are here. So I think, while I love Netflix, I think just kind of more of the educational documentaries is going to give a better scope and lens of how we are where we are today. Thank you for saying that. That really clarifies a lot. And I think it's important for people to be willing to go there and to know where to go. Yeah. So you were saying before to me, you were talking about, well, you actually mentioned it a few minutes ago about all lives matter versus Black Lives Matter mm-hmm. and this sort of thread that you went <laughs> social media. It's always quite interesting doing that. <laughs> you get a clue into like all the perspectives and know. important to know them actually. But I thought maybe you wanted to give a little bit more there. Sure. Yes. So for black people, you know, it's no need to really make it plain. There are the analogies of if one house is on fire, is the fire department dousing every house with water? Or if one person has cancer, are we walking for every disease or sickness? And for us, I believe Black Lives Matter, it's speaking to, of course, just us being relevant and considered. So again, when you go back to the history of our country and the ugly secrets and the ugly stains that exist, there has to be an understanding of if a group of people were once and still today through the institutional systematic racism not factored in, we just we're saying that we matter, you know, not that we matter more than, but we just simply matter. And so that's my stance on the movement. So for anyone to say all lives matter, I think that notion, yes, all lives do matter. And because they do, Black people should act like it, period. So, and that's actually something I recently posted. If all lives matter, act like it. And act like it applies to America. You get what I'm saying? Like, that's enough said. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. It almost like if you look back, like since you brought up the history, it almost looks like, you know, when people are like, well, come on, you know, you have your rights on paper. So like, let's just do it. The reality is that there has never actually been any healing from former trauma and pain of so many hundreds and hundreds of years. And I think part of the powerlessness of the culture and of the white individuals in our culture, I kind of feel like naming it as more of like a mass thing, is that nobody knows exactly how to do that. Like, how do you heal that? How do you give voice to that? Because you can't make trauma go away, but it's almost like the expectation of Black America is like, just start living, just start doing it. You know, so I don't know the answer, but I just see this disjoint there. Yeah. How would we ever really heal just such immense pain? 
That's a really great question. And I heard you mention hundreds of years. So again, if we even go back to when King was assassinated, that was only 50 years ago. So if my grandmother has dealt with unspeakable things and she had trauma and raised my mom and my mom, you know, is trickling down. So it's not even that it's that long ago because it's prevalent. I think the first step to healing is exactly what's happening right now. And it's conversations and difficult conversations are just important period for any relationship, let alone like the racial difficult conversations. And I think we have to offer a safe space, kind of like what we're doing and being able to dialogue and go back and forth and share insight. So having it without the stigmas of why is everything about race? Oh, she's so angry and she, she's so upset. And it's like, no, yo, I'm not. I'm just calling this to your attention. And I would love for us to kind of dialogue and share out. And I think being able to share out, it provokes the heartstrings and the compassion. So the first step is to continue to communicate kind of like what we're doing as a whole, as a nation. And then two, you know, some people may be upset with this, but really take the politics out. This is a human thing. It's not like I've, part of the thread I was reading was Black Lives Matter is just a radical agenda push for um, to supporting the Democrats. And, and it's like, no, it's we're just saying we matter. We matter. Like that's period. So conversation, first steps to healing, introspection, like enter accountability in your household. And I think white families have to teach their children at very young ages about this ugly thing that exists um, and to support them and to correct the things that even that's coming out of their mouth, even if it's subconscious biases. Like if you say something, your child is monitoring it and they're taking it with them or that's their perspective. And it goes both ways, even amongst our race to make sure we're mindful of the things that we say. So conversations, talking to our children, having these real conversations. Um, And when we really quick point, when we talk about the history, these are things I did not learn until my freshman year of college. You know, black history is not taught in schools as we know it, or it's some glazed about just some very generic. So even with that, so until we're getting this information and diving into it, then we can put strategy around it. So I really think that's the first step to healing conversations and accountability amongst yourself, amongst your community, and then for white people to really exercise their privilege. If you see something that looks fishy or funky in the workplace or out of the workplace, speak up, advocate for that person. That could be your niece. That could be your mother. That could be, so humanize the issue, place a human tie to the issue and not look at it like an issue. Mm. So those are, but I don't have all the answers. So I wouldn't expect you to. It's like (laughs) major thing and it's so deep and so prevalent and no one person has the answers, but I think the powerful thing about dialoguing and talking about it and just, you know, going over it again and again and again, and then you hope different people are hearing it and people hear things from different people in different ways. So thing you say is going to, you know, not speak to someone, but it'll speak to someone else really powerfully. So you have to keep putting it out. You know, I didn't want to go too deep into the rabbit hole, but you know, there's a lot of things that come up. And I think especially for white individuals that have the privilege of voice and also black individuals who have the privilege of voice and have certain ability, because we all have just, (laughs) we have different access depending on a lot of contexts in our lives. We have to use our voices. We had an experience recently where we live in New York City, but we are leaving the city for obvious reasons for a year or so. And 
enrolling our kids in school outside. And we went through a process of applying our kids to school, very progressive, liberal school. And we encountered some real serious microaggression biased shit. Wow. And I had never, I mean, I, I think sometimes I'm spoiled living in New York City because it is sort of the epicenter of being comfortable as a multicultural family. Mm-hmm. We're not different in that different, a little different, but not that different in New York. I mean, it's so powerful and beautiful to see people all the time that you don't know exactly what they are and it doesn't really matter, you know? Yeah. But we ran up against it and it was a, such a visceral physical experience for me. Mm. And it involved specifically perceptions of our son, which made it even more intense. And this happened right before the George Floyd, like everything like blew up right before. And my partner was like, we need to, we have to say something. We have to, you know, and I kind of had the whole white privileged response, which was, well, like how loud should we call it out? And I don't want this and that, that whole dance. Mm -hmm. Eventually we co-authored a pretty direct email, called it out and we never got a response. Wow. Yeah. So we're working on a letter now to the board of the school because this now, whether you agree or not, or it was your intention or not, um, now you have not responded. And so- And that's a blatant that. So it's even issues like that, I think. And I know that I've experienced this is a human thing. I'm bothered. This is frustrating. This involves my child. And I think it's so important to always say something. That's like the premise of Wusai, to speak up and to disrupt, right? When you, so when you think about well-being and mindfulness, if you have a stomach ache and it's just sitting on your stomach, it's best when you like vomit it out or to get it off you because yeah. then you're protecting your peace essentially. And you're teaching your children the power in advocating and defending themselves because, you know, mom and dad, they're not always going to be there. And so who, if you don't mind me asking, who noticed the microaggression? Like who was able to catch it? This was so interesting because we were experiencing and noting things in this application process that felt weird, but it wasn't obvious. It was just, "Mm, okay. And then when a letter came through over our email, it went to my email and then I forwarded it, but I was in my like office space working. Uh I'd like this physical, like my stomach dropped feeling. Mm -hmm. I knew something was wrong. And so when I went upstairs and I said to him, what was that email? And he defined it. So he said it, but I knew it like, I got it. And so when you think about it, how you mentioned it was very little subtleties, that is what the systemic racism look like. Or people, I think sometimes white people, they think like, oh, I'm not racist. I haven't done this. But again, it's the subtleties of behaviors or perceptions or the reason, the covert things that you're not really aware of that you do that may be done naturally or like day to day because it, it wasn't intentional. I didn't mean for this. Now, I don't know that to be the case with the school system that you're dealing with, but it's those type of things, I think, in terms of being accountable, um, really checking yourself and call those things out and assess like, hey, how did I handle that? Did I respond out of my implicit bias or did I respond fairly? So it's a lot of those things, I think, that exist in and out of the workplace that are the sneaky things that we have to watch for that adds up to the George Floyds. Yeah. Well, the other thing I was kind of going to bring this back to, because we're both 
such believers in mindfulness. What I think here is really critical when it comes to mindfulness is that particularly for the white individuals involved in this moment in time of introspection, of finally coming out and having conversations with people that are inherently uncomfortable or upsetting, or you feel like you're being attacked. Or, and I'm the first to admit that I have had conversations in my home where like, I just want to jump out of my skin because I feel so powerless. I feel like I'm failing, even though I care so much. Like there's so much frustration that I can feel like to the point of just tears. And when I think of mindfulness, I don't think of just, you know, sitting under a a Bodhi tree and being like, (laughs) mindfulness is actually the presence enough to sit in discomfort and to breathe and to know that you're going to survive and to know that it's okay and to stay the course. That's what really mindfulness is. And I think where mindfulness is very powerful here in this discussion and in this concept of wusa is like, stay with it. Yeah. I think that this is what's really, really important right now in this period of time for black and white people. Like we have to all stay the course. Yeah, we totally do. And know even when it's uncomfortable and know that it's okay. Like, of course, fools will be fools, whether that's a black or a white fool, whatever. So you may encounter someone that may try to bite your head off or it's very upset. Know that that's not about you. That's something that they're dealing with. That's an inner thing. But continue to reach out, continue to ask the questions, continue to do what you need to do. Um, when I think about even in the workplace leaderships, reevaluate pay scales, reevaluate how people are promoted, reevaluate how you've done things in the past, and just kind of really take some time and be introspective. Like, it's okay. Like we're going to be okay. As long as we continue to move forward, even in our discomfort, nothing grows from the comfort zone. So we have to have the ugly conversations. And I think if you reach out as a white person, or if you're really trying to educate yourself and your intentions were pure, you can walk away knowing that your intentions were pure. Anything that may happen and you feel attacked, you came from a really great place and take any moments of frustration as an opportunity to learn to grow and to reassess for the next conversation. So that would be like the the best advice to give. We have to sit in this and take action. Think about what can you do in your day-to-day life? Like whose life can you inspire? If you're in a position of leadership, reevaluate a couple things, reach out to your black employees directly. You know, I think sometimes the generalizations, it's still a very subtle way of avoiding and we can't avoid, you know, hey, I may not understand what you're going through, but I empathize with you. You know, what can I do or how can I better support? And that's in and out of the workplace. Well, yeah. And that goes to something that I think is really important, especially I think in the workplace and inside of organizations, this could be a very powerful technique. And you can tell me if you agree with me, but I think oftentimes leadership, and I'll put that, you know, in air quotes, leadership often thinks that they know how to improve a situation on behalf of someone else. What we don't do is sit with someone else and ask them what they think would improve a situation. And it doesn't mean you have to implement everything, but like invite people into solving the problems and into coming up with solutions. And I think sometimes we're like almost too scared to do that because of, I don't know, power dynamics. I'm not sure. Yeah, I agree. I I know that that happens. I actually posted recently on my LinkedIn, just encouraging 
senior leaders to reach out to their black employees directly. This whole, I don't want to, if I work for a Pepsi, I don't want to just see that Pepsi put out a statement on Instagram, but I come in your building every day and you haven't said anything to me. So I do think inviting people into the conversation is a must, is so necessary. Again, even if you don't really use their feedback, you can take it into consideration and it gives you a better pulse on what the people are needing and how the people are feeling because there's no way for you to, to have that insight because you're not a person of color. And just one person of color doesn't speak for all people of color. So yeah, I do agree that that's very important to bring them to the table. Yeah. Another thing that comes to my mind is like, talk about a high paranoia time in the workplace. It's like people are redefining how to even in a workplace because of COVID-19 and high stress there. Then you add in all of the concern about how we're acknowledging the racial dynamics right now. I mean, what? (laughs) Sometimes it's like so stressful to even think about I mean, the only thing that I can come back to is kind of what you said a little while ago, which is that somehow this is just shaking up all the things that have needed to just reshake itself. Yeah. I mean, just put your big girl panties on (laughs) and do it. Just have the conversation like, you know, and if you walk, it would be such a tragedy to exit COVID the same way you entered, especially everything that has happened during the course of us being quarantined. It's such a tragedy. So, you know, think about what can you do? There's a lot you can do. And that starts with tapping into other people, being introspective, having the conversations. So yeah, you're right. It's a crazy time, but it's a necessary time. If America wants to um, live up to being for the people, liberty, justice for all, and what our founding fathers shaped the constitution eventually to be to reflect everyone, then this is the work that we have to do. And I am so elated and hopeful for once that we can get ahead of this racial thing. It's not going to happen immediately and overnight, and that's okay. But I think if everyone is doing their part, the part that they can do, then we're inching ourselves forward. And by the time you are a great grand, you know, uh, things would have shifted in, in so many different ways. I hope so. I also wanted to give you a moment too, uh, Rakal, because you, of course, wrote your book, Wusa, which is all about em- the empowerment of people of color in the workplace, which is so needed right now. But you've also written other books. I was in there and I was like, ooh, she's written all kinds of stuff. So, I mean, share with us the ways in which those listening can interact with all your work. RaquelShelton.com is the best way to go to my website. There are tons of YouTube videos. My lane is tip. I'm a passion writer, right? So I write about things that are that I'm currently dealing with. The first book was, um, it's a memoir. It's a story of perseverance and growth into womanhood. Being a first generation college graduate, I go off, I'm finding myself overcoming all type of statistics. So it's, if you're a fan of like the pursuit of happiness, that type of central thing, that's the first book and the second book, very similar. And so with Wusa, I knew it was time to fire my corporate employer, just some of the things I was navigating through. And I wrote it from a place of passion. So each book is kind of highlighting pivotal moments in my life to where I am just challenged to inspire someone else. So yeah, there we are. And so my website, you can follow me on Instagram as well. My Instagram and Twitter handle are the same. That's R Carla Danielle. That's the letter R C A R L A D A N I E L L E. But if you go to RaquelShelton.com, R A H K A L 
S-H-E-L-T-O-N. You can find everything there. I do weekly affirmations. I have just tons of inspirational content for all ethnicities, efforts to just support the human race and moving forward. I love that. I mean, I just would also love to say, like, I really encourage everyone listening today to head over to your Instagram because I think, again, back to this idea of the comfort zone, it's like, you know, I'm a huge fan of someone like Glennon Doyle. I worship her. I love her writing. I think she's profound. But like, let's also get our inspiration and our mantras and our mindfulness from women, from positive, beautiful black women, and let that become part of our mindset too. Because it's like, we have to fuel ourselves with that which we want to know more. And so I'm really encouraging everyone to seek that and let that also become part of your dailiness, your daily stuff. I love that, Randy. It just gives, it also for me, it dispels some of the I guess the myths or some of the stereotypes that you may see like a lot of entertainment or just black people where we come in all types of shades of colors, sizes um, and perspectives. And yeah, so I'm confident it would be totally refreshing. So yeah, no, I think so. I think there just has to be a lot more exchange. It's like water. It just needs to move. It needs to flow. We all have so much to gain from each other's wisdom, actually. You know, my mother-in-law, she's a devout Christian. I'm a Jew. And the other day when I was very raw with my recent loss of my grandmother, I mean, she called me and she just like gave me the most beautiful blessing. And it's like, the words, the specifics, you know, like the names used don't matter because it's this mm. universal flow of love and positivity and God, like whatever that is, I just, I knew what I was receiving. So yeah. I think that we all can do not only so much better, but we can also just give ourselves so much more and then watch like how you start to see the world differently. And I really think that we all have the ability to do that. We need to do it. Yeah. I love it. I love everything that you said. And that's what we're here for. We're not islands. You know, we all can draw and learn and pour into and receive from even in the, it's like eating fruit seeded grapes, spit out the seeds. What does not work for you? Just kind of spit it out. But there's still nourishment that's going in. You don't have to agree with everyone's ideology. That's the beauty and individuality and diversity, the different perspectives. So I love that. So thank you for sharing that. And I'm glad you were open to that. And your listeners, we all have to be open to that as well. Yes, we do. (laughs) Well, anyway, it's really just been a joy. I'm so happy and grateful that I saw you on Instagram through a friend Marquette. So love that. And I just wish you the best with your work. And I know that the world needs you right now. Thank you. I wish you the best as well. So we appreciate you. Thank you. All right, everyone. I encourage you to head over to Raquel and hang out with her. And I'm so grateful that you hang out with me here on the podcast. You know, it's my happy place and a place where I feel like I get to share what's on my mind and the kind of conversations that I know will move the needle. So take care of you, continue to do the work, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.